We are now recording, everybody. Hello, people. No one talks, so I'm going to talk. James no, is going no. To... <laughs> Shush. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for people to say, to like sit, simmer down. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode two of the Ionosphere, the brand new show brought to you by many, many, many people on this corner of Twitter. And this is a show where we're going to go through uh, roughly speaking, the week's events, things which have generally happened, which we find of interest, and we're going to give our expert opinions on them because we are the absolute authority in human intellect and knowledge. Today, I'm joined by, first of all, Mr. Jason Snyder. Hello there. Um, Jason, uh, at Cognizor on Twitter. And you'll learn more as we go. Absolutely fantastic. I'm also joined today by Mr. Garrett Daly. How's it going, Garrett? Uh, at, under, or at Libra underscore Rex. Wonderful. We've got, all, we've got to all plug our Twitter handles. Mr. Stefan Fox. S-T-E-R-F-I-N-F-O-X. My name is Stefan Fox. I'm an artist. Welcome, everybody. Hello. Um, who's next? Mr. Chase Luceford. Hello, I'm Chance Lunsford. This is a extended <laughs> bulletin, and my Twitter handle is at Logo Centrifuge. And finally, the illustrious Noble Brown. Greetings, everyone. Noble Brown, at Sociopathlete on Twitter. I am the world's first and only savage philosopher. Yes, love it. Absolutely fantastic. We had to obviously drag you into this show. We had to, I had to beg you to come into the show. But uh, what we're going to do is going to go around our fine screen table for you. We've all got a topic which we've thought of beforehand, and uh, we're going to spit it out for you and uh, have at it for a little while. So first of all, Mr. Jason Snyder, what was the topic you wanted to talk about? Yeah, so there's a there's a guy on Twitter. Uh, he has a handle Young Deleuze. Um, pretty interesting uh, account, but he had a he had a thread that I thought was kind of interesting to discuss. Um, and he's basically talking about how all of our kind of emotions, attitudes are getting commoditized. So I'll just read a, a few of the kind of the highlights of this thread. Um, so he says the modern information economy has turned human emotions, attitudes, and mental processes into businesses. Feeling angry? You can go watch an action movie, listen to aggressive metal or hip-hop, or play a shooter game. Feeling sad? Go watch This American Life, The Notebook, etc., etc. Feeling self-righteous? Go read Red or Blue Tribe article, get yourself angry at the enemy. Feeling punk? Feeling normcore? Feeling bourgeoisie? You know, so on and on and on. Um, then he says, media has created that fills in the blanks of any cultural archetype you could want to be. Um, he quotes something, inevitably media requires readers to be in a subrational trance. When you don't know which cultural stereotype you're a part of, you become predictable to people who do. And that's the end of the thread. And so I was just wondering, so one, you know, is it a bad thing that our attitudes, our emotions are being served through the market? Because this thread seems to apply, imply that it is. Um, like, is it categorically bad? Or can we, can we say, well, it's good that we're, you know, producing different kinds of content. There's many more subcultures proliferating, um, say through Twitter, YouTube. Uh, you know, we can see that as a good thing. But how do you how do you do that but still maintain your autonomy, especially when maybe a lot of these media sources, even though it's fractionating, YouTube is one company, right? So we're all playing in kind of this larger sandbox, and so we don't always know if we are being manipulated. So how do we, I guess. Yeah, so I'll, I'll open it with that. What do you guys think? Who first? I well, think we're supposed, to be, supposed to be raising out our hands, of course, but uh, Noble, you started to speak, sir. 
the emotional manipulation of Western society has been the one great innovation in the last 65 years or so. Marketing and advertising and mass media does nothing but manipulate the emotions of their audience. That, that's how they get you to buy stuff. That's how they get you to keep turning on your television. That's how they get you to go out to the movies. And, you know, we're, we're all told that this is the lifestyle that you're going to get to, to enjoy if you do X, Y, or Z. Or where's that for uh, Mr. Dowling there? So I, th this is nothing new per se. I mean, it's new relative to the, uh, to the length of human civilization. But ever since the 1950s, this is, this is all that we've gotten really good at. Yeah, I think it depends what you mean by emotions being served, because it's our emotions being uh, are the things we're engaging with going to be um, amplifying our emotions or are they actually fixing our emotions? Because that would definitely be, be a concern. So I don't see the leap in logic between or, or precisely what that word means by like engaging with our emotions. I'm not entirely sure. Chance, what do you think? To me, one of the critical dividing lines in this issue is whether or not what we're being served is actually art. And you, you, can, you can kind of go back and forth on what art means, but it's sort of like, uh, I know pornography when I see it. It's the same thing for art. Like there, you see good art and it touches you. It makes an impact on you. It inspires you. It touches you to your core. And a lot of this shit that is being pumped out over and over and over again it's the same tropes. It's the same ideas. It's even the same characters just remade with the flavor of the year, whichever handsome actor or actress, but there's no original content being pushed out by the major media conglomerates because they have a tried and true method. And for whatever reason, the, the masses of people out there seem to continue to buy into the same old, tired, worn out material just with the fresh face pasted on it. And so for me, um, I see that happening, and I see the deadening of the minds of the people, and I have to question whether or not that's healthy and positive. Whereas, like, if I look at a Leonardo da Vinci painting or a Michelangelo painting, or I look at one of the great films like Requiem for a Dream, for example, which I was talking about earlier today. That's a great film. The, the music, the story, the way that it snags you, and, and it makes you think that this is going to be an awesome story about people who love taking drugs and have a great time. And then suddenly somebody's having their arm cut off. It, that I just want to say that, that movie changed my life. Me but, too. Uh, Miami but, Jones. I was, was in four at the time that after I saw that movie, that was, it was a pretty toxic relationship. And actually that movie it forced me to get out. Cause I was like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? So just, you know, not to cut you off. I pretty much laid it out. I'd love to hear some response. It's, go on, it's, go on, Garrett. It's interesting because if you think, I mean, in the sense of like a free market is supposed to meet the needs of the consumer, right? Um, whereas uh, young Deleuze seems to have like a very pessimistic attitude toward that. In some sense, isn't the ideal that we do have this vast network of people producing the kind of content that people want? I mean, and I, I argue it's more on the onus is on the consumer to be responsible with how they're consuming, right? If, if there's someone putting out Fast and Furious 48 and I'm going to go see it every year, then 
you can't blame the people making them if there's a huge, massive, massive demand, right? So I think it's also interesting because it kind of forces people to produce more and more niche stuff, right? Like um, yeah. if you look at drop shipping is kind of an example of that uh, from Twitter's perspective, but there's these increasingly obscure SoundCloud artists and weird internet bands that make really specific emotions or really specific themes and they just stay in that area. So I feel like we're getting to this point where there's just such an abundance that everything has to be insanely specific. You know, it's over specificity to the point of just obscurity. I don't know. I, I want to push back on that a little bit because, you know, I, I'm a person who doesn't really fall into a specific category, maybe a specific archetype, but my content is all over the place. But I seem to be able to connect to people with relative ease, uh, even while being a generalist. And, I, and so I think the difference between what you're talking about and what I'm talking about is originality. You know, I'm genuine and original, and people get a kick out of that because I'm a breath of fresh air. Whereas, um, you know, what you're talking about is, okay, let's, let's feed them what they're hungry for. And what I'm saying is, let's feed them what we are naturally inclined to produce and let the cards fall where they may. Because if you're not true to yourself, and you're not producing content that's true to your own message, then what are you making? What is it that you're making? I definitely don't yeah. disagree with that. Um, I'm, so I guess it's kind of a difference between looking at it from the angle of the producer, in which case, I mean, good, good quality stuff it almost exclusively comes from people that are making something that resonates with the core of their being. Versus from the perspective of the consumer is they're looking to fill increasingly specific voids in themselves, right? And I think ultimately what, what is required is a shift from the perspective of consumption to production, right? When you're, when you're a producer, you're taking in, especially the more generalistic you are, you're taking in vast quantities of information processing it through who you are through your personality and that ends up being part of what you create you're, you're like an interpreter well so one of the emphases here especially when you go through these, some of these other types that he's talking about that i kind of skipped you know he's saying like want want to feel feeling self-righteous want to feel punk want to feel normcore want to feel bourgeoisie so it's like he's tying it explicitly to your identity right and so you know whether 50 years ago um uh whether you know we're all we're all kind of watching the same shows and now it's fractionated i think what he's getting to is like you know we're consuming these things because we want to take on a certain identity and to me that's something i'm really interested in is i think that in order to be creative you have to i mean seeking identity is one thing but but you have to kind of break out of the need to seek for an identity at some point and you need to kind of like go to that edge where you know, there's no kind of this support system or crutch of like, oh, I'm I'm a punk, you know, I, I'm a punk, and so I listen to punk music. It's like, what? Is, so I guess I, I guess a question is, you know, what's the relationship between this identity uh, function of or serving our identity versus something that's actually valuable to us and is, is helping us be creative? I so, have thoughts on this. You may um, give your oh. thoughts. Oh yeah, thanks. Thank you very much, James. Uh, Jason, to and Noble to initially answer 
or shall we say put historical context onto what Noble was saying. Um, there was a man who was known as the probably the best PR agent in the world, the best marketer who's ever lived. He was considered a genius. Uh, there's a guy on Twitter called Yuse5. You can check him out. He talks about him a lot. His name is Edward Bernays. He was, um, he was the person who got fluoride in the water. He was the person who got having a hearty breakfast. He was the person who got women smoking, for example, um, by doing the thing where he got all the actresses to march on cigarettes, called them Torches at Liberty. He was uh, Sigmund Freud's nephew that's very interesting and so what he did is he psychologized propaganda he took wartime propaganda and he said how do we apply this to um the human mind and how do we like how do we take lessons out of the human mind out of this and apply it to marketing that's what it is the capitalist system he was very pro-democracy pro-capitalist he created the american dream that's essentially this man and he said that he wanted to change america and who are they are the cultural leaders in the world right now and he wanted to change america from a needs society into a wants society now, in order to do that, he had to liberate people from this mindset they had where they won't spend more than they need. They won't buy for any other reason other than to survive. So the idea was that you would get what we call your identity, as Jason was describing, from your, your community and your church. We could say, put it that way, you're like your traditionalist heritage. That's where you got your identity from. You didn't need fancy clothes to stand out as an individual because you weren't really, you were part of this community and whatnot. And uh, he wanted to liberate people from that and give them the opportunity to craft their own identities because in a very Machiavelli way, that's the way you can sell to them in a more sophisticated way. And you, that, that's the way you can liberate them from only buying you know, oats and porridge and whatnot. And then um, he led to quite a lot of this thinking. And it's not like he did it all, but it's, he was a, shall we say, a, a messiah of that movement. And as that moved forward, people, it started to get like absolutely insane and, and started to go out of control. And it led us to our situation now where you've got like drop shippers who are crafting like lifestyle yoga, uh, yoga Instagram pages to kind of sell people a kind of lifestyle with all these like weird products that all make sense in some type of way. And then um, to, to relate this to what Chance was saying about art is I do fundamentally think that the reason why art was so prominent beforehand and it's, it's kind of, it's starting to, uh, to disappear in this world to some extent. And the modern art thing is something we can talk about is um, art was often used as a remedy, as a, you know, a pill to, in order to get catharsis for the suffering, the difficulty and the tragedy of life, as Jordan Peterson often says. And, and we often got that through things like community and the, the church and the state were often integrated and they funded art together, like Da Vinci and the Renaissance and all that. That was very much a, that was a very much big social thing going on. It was the merchants and the state and the church all working together in order to create, create great Italian works and whatnot. And nowadays, um, because people have gotten liberated so much, the, the kind of idea is that we're all individuals trying to find our own little niche within the super societies that we live in and grand projects, grand collectivized projects like that are very, very difficult to do. And, um, and for that reason, we do get this mirage of different identities, perspectives, arts, and, and whatnot. And I do believe for that reason, people are, are, are led towards getting their emotions manipulated quite a lot. And the reason why that could be a bad thing is because it's almost like we have to invent emotions or we, we have to get our emotions flattered instead of having those old school archetypical ways where it's like, yeah, you suffer, but there's Jesus. Everything's going to be all right type situation. So uh, that would be my riff off all that stuff. Interesting talk. Those were those are very good thoughts. What, what I'm going to have to sorry, go on, Noble, go on. I want Stefan to take that mic off his mic stand and then drop it. <laughs> <laughs> that was 
that was very well done and you have a unique gift for tying together. You, you took like five different ideas and wove them all together there. Yeah. And I, mean, I was having trouble keeping up with what everybody was saying. So thank you, sir. Thank summary you. there. That was, that was genius. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Very nice. Fantastic. So yes, I was, I was working up good material nonetheless. Good job, Stefan. But however, we're going to have to move topics now and we're going to move oh. on to you, Stefan, for your topic. So we're going to see if you're as good at coming up with topics as you are with responding to them. Well, does anybody want to talk about veganism, uh, flat earth, any, any of that stuff? I do think a good, devi- um, a good deviance, a good deviance, Jesus, there's a Freudian slip, a good uh, leeway, a good um, exchange would be into the idea of modern art, the state of modern art. It is a, a thread I've been running a lot recently. I've just been going on Instagram and, and typing, in, um, typing in new contemporary art. And I've been seeing, you know, like, human bodies stuck through fish hooks and shit like this. And I'm sort of like, what the fuck is going on here? I find it very fascinating in the context of what I was just talking about of, of uh, art being used to get catharsis for suffering and the church's place in that moving forward into a time where we suffer like, like so little compared to how we used to. But for some reason, there's a massive amount of existential suffering. And so art is often, is often very corrosive nowadays. It's very decadent. It's very nice. It's very dark. It's very, it's very, um, anti-human or something like that because it's not trying to raise everybody up as like a great hero it's trying to display humans in their most shitty form of some sort so i'd love to hear people's thoughts in modern art yes uh chance you can give your thoughts first my friend well let's 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 pull in the bible here for a second you know you you shall know a tree by its fruit it's a paraphrase obviously but the point is what what is the content being created? Who is it being created by? And where is it leading people? When Stefan's talking about, you know, disembodied people or skin being peeled off of a face and revealing the meat underneath or people being impaled by fish hooks or spears or, um, you know, grotesque figures, warped bodies, warped minds, warped faces, turning what traditionally was crafted in artistic works to be sublime beauty is now flipped on its head and is now being crafted into a mockery of what it is to be a human. Same thing with, with a lot of the popular culture. It's like, okay, um, what are the most popular things out there? Superhero movies? Why? Because you don't want to be who you are. Grotesque art? Why? Because you're dissatisfied with your person. And, and so where does all that lead? You know, obviously, suicide rates are climbing and climbing and moving into younger and younger people. Um, You know, pornography is an epidemic and it's destroying people's relationships. It's destroying their ability to connect with their partners. It's destroying their ability to experience the sensation of joy because they're trading it for a cheap instant gratification. And that's the same thing as a lot of this art that we're seeing. It's like it's a cheap gratification that requires no thought no analysis you just tune out of your life and what you replace it with is some bullshit tired worn out things and don't get me wrong there's a lot of value to superhero content as long as it's leading you somewhere but where is it leading you if if all the modern art and all the modern content is about tearing apart what it is to be a person is about trying to convince people that what reality is is not what we thought it is. It's actually not reality and there's no reality to observe. It's all just up for grabs. It's all just up in the air. What is the end result of that? 
And I think it's pretty clear if you take a step back and look at what's going on with people, they're not mentally sound. And there's so much going on in the world today that is so disappointing if you believe that a person is a divine being or, or anything like that to watch them squander the gifts of life and replace it with things that are designed to fuck your head up. And, and why is that and where's that going? That's, that's my question about it all. Well, that's, that's a great point. And I think you touched on it right there at the end. It's something that I say over and over again, like a broken record, uh, is that the first thing you need to do is accept that you are a divine creation. And so much of modern art rejects that. And that's why you get, you know, all the filth uh, that, that is described in, in, in modern art is because we live in a society that rejects the notion that human beings are a divine creation. I actually think the, the superhero movies as a trend are, might be the last great hope. And the reason why is because, you know, who are the characters that are most popular in those? You know, it's, it's often not even the guys that are like the stupidly overpowered ones. It's guys like, you know, Captain America, who's a little strong, but he's not really, he's not flying around or anything like that. Or it's, or it's Tony Stark, who is the rich military industrial dude who just happens to be smarter than everybody. You know, it shows you, you know, the potential, at least, of, of what humanity can do against a seemingly impossible, you know, adversary, but you're absolutely right. The, the, the key is, you know, where is it coming from? And, you know, you shall know the tree by its fruit. And we don't, we don't see each other as divine creations anymore. And um, I have to drop off with that. I got to, um, I got to finish up and get back to my desk, but thank you guys for inviting me along. And, uh, that was quite the mic drop. Yeah, no worries, my friend. That was very good, Thank man. You, it's good to see you, man. Good yeah. to see you. Hey, drop your website. Yeah, well. Uh, oh, and, so, and he's gone. No, he's gone. He's gone. Sociopathletic.com. Can I real quick? Yeah, sociopathletic.com. Check it out. I've got a few few good articles out there. And uh, keep an eye out. The uh, the novel will be dropping. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I just need to finish reading it. <laughs> Sweet. Fantastic. Thank you, Noble. <coughs> Thank you. Garrett, my friend, you may go. Jason was calling there, was he? Yeah, I just want, so I, I basically agree with you guys, but I, I guess I see it more kind of in a historical context. So, you know, through the 20th century, I feel like the 20th century, especially the early part, was kind of like this time of grand narratives. And these grand narratives, you know, led us into World War One, World War Two, you know, Vietnam. Um, and I, th so I, from what I see it with a lot of modern art is I see it as kind of like this reaction to grand narratives. And it was kind of part of this larger post structural movement in general, which was kind of the response of like people saying, well, we're being fed all of these narratives through kind of the mainstream media, which was very centralized at the time. And, you know, th they're leading us to things like Vietnam, which is a kind of a shit show. Um, and, and so we need to kind of like question reality at its core. Okay, so, and I see that's kind of how things like modern art took off. Now, 
so I, I see kind of a role of deconstruction, so to speak, of deconstructing the notion of what is a divine being. Well, maybe that notion in the past is problematic now, maybe not. Um, but where I agree with you guys is I think that at a certain point, you have to stop deconstructing and you have to start creating something again and creating something that's beautiful and ennobling to people. And I think at this point, a lot of the modern art that you are describing, um, Stefan, is, is, is basically, it's, it's, like, it's like this you know, momentum that is just continuing and it's no longer serving a role of critiquing society. It's becoming kind of its own monster in a way. Mm -hmm. um, it's not even serving a role of like catharsis. Sometimes you have to create ugly things in order to get that ugly thing out of you, right? So it could be part okay. of a cathartic process. But, you know, at a certain point, um, we have to see ourselves as, as noble and as, you know, uh, wanting to create something beautiful. And so I, I think, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of hopefully turning the tide. And maybe that's what part of the ionosphere is about, is turning the tide back towards, okay, there's, you know, there were previous narratives and there was the critique. Now let's create a new narrative that, um, you know, kind of from the ground up. Yeah, makes sense so, to me. Garrett? What's really interesting about all this stuff, um, <clears throat> one of the things, if you watch the show long enough, you're going to see us talk about meme warfare and memetics and stuff, right? Um, so it's interesting, the people that first did memetic warfare, if we're not counting, like, uh, competing religious doctrines, was the CIA, right? So um, in the Cold War, you had um, the popular art style in Soviet Russia and the USSR was called uh, Soviet realism. And it's really, really cool, right? Uh, I did a thread about this a while back, but so it's this real, like, and I am absolutely against everything they're about, but their art is, it's amazing, right? It's the, everyone looks noble, everyone looks strong. There are people united together, holding the banner up, uh, there, it, it glorifies the, uh, the nature of the Soviet lifestyle, right? So if you're going to compete with that, you can't compete directly with that. Um, and I mean, honestly, they shouldn't have, they shouldn't have fought this fight on aesthetics, but they did. So the CIA ended up funding people like, uh, Andy Warhol, who's just absolutely, um, uh, if, if the stuff that Andy Warhol is producing is considered popular, then it undermines everything about the Soviet realism, right? Because it's just pop art, it's glorifying common objects by, you know, whatever, um, a good rule of thumb is whatever you're creating art out of is glorifying it, right? You're taking your time and attention and picking the things about that that you want to represent with artistic talent, right? So if, if I'm glorifying a soup can, I'm it, literally, it's glorifying consumerism, Marilyn Monroe, right? I'm, I'm glorifying the American consumerist freedom versus the, the lifestyle and the community that they're glorifying with Soviet realism. So the downside of this, at the same time, they were also um, the, the French, um, I, th I believe the post-structuralists and some of the people that you're talking about, um, they were also funding those think tanks. And there's a large scale like psyop, psychological, philosophical, aesthetic warfare that they're conducting that ended up causing uh, American, um, which, you know, is like the forefront of modern culture, uh, to dominate with this really nonsense art style. And so at, at, on a deeper level, I think that represents the move away from the glorification of life, right? Because if you look at the Renaissance masters, it's 
the glorification of the human form. And they would put that in a religious context, but even with um, like the creation of Adam, there's behind, you know, God is sitting on that, uh, that throne of angels, but it's actually shaped like a brain. And there's just this deeper meaning of like human life is inherently valuable, something to be exalted. So as we've moved away from that, we've kind of diverged into the uh, very mundane modern art style that's glorifying this really visceral kind of physical world. And then the, the thing that was exalting human life died off and because they were both misguided, right? So we've, we're in this place where there's not, like you were saying, there's, there's not a coherent narrative. There's not a unifying theme anymore. And I think that is what we're doing is, is unifying and, and concretizing uh, human life into something valuable again. So the, the thing with modern art, as far as I'm concerned, is it's not very nice. And that happens to be a really big problem when it comes to art. Like, how many people go to a modern art gallery and they enjoy modern art? Like, how many people do you know who like, I, I really like that, that trash can in the middle of the room? And it's like, no one likes it. And that seems to be a big problem with art, unless it's on a really nihilistic level. So they enjoy it because, you know, they really don't like normal art. And that happens to be a really big problem. So what I think modern art is, it, it's, it's an assault on the category of beauty, where you once had things considered beauty, and then you have these things coming along which aren't. And they're like, this is equal to that, right? Therefore, the, the category of, of, of beauty shouldn't exist anymore. It's a complete assault. And I think it's motivated by an, an assault on categorization itself. And we see that reflected in so many different areas of politics, which I suppose I won't get into now, but everything has to be exactly the same. There, you don't have a hierarchy of value, one thing better than something else. And that happens to be a really, really big problem. Chance, what do you think? So... Let's think of this in terms of art in its, in its original form, we'll say, was designed to feed what it is to be a human. So you have, you have mind, body, soul, right? You have your meat vehicle and you have your essence. And the combination of those two is your mind where you are experiencing your body and you are processing it through what it, is, what it means to be you. So like for the Russians where Garrett was talking about, the Russians have always been very good at art. And part of the reason that is, is because Russians have always had very hard lives. It's a hard place to live. It's cold. It's hard to grow food, especially the further north you get. They've been constantly dominated by one form of government or another. They've been constantly at war or almost at war. And there's a certain self-loathing that's seems to be built into the Russian culture. There's both pride, but also self-loathing. They figure they're better than everybody else, but they're still not worth the shit. And the art that comes out of that juxtaposition is, is heartbreaking. You know, you don't, you don't look at Russian art typically and think, man, I feel really good after watching this. Like, <laughs> you know, like you listen to Rachmaninoff or Prokofiev and you're blown away by the genius, but you're also left feeling like, man, I just feel like I got battered by a thunderstorm. And Tarkovsky as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, you, but that was a cry out from a place of hardship and they were longing for something more than what they had. And as far as the deconstruction movement, it's like, okay, I recognize that there are, there are reasons to pull apart archetypes there are reasons to pull apart 
existing structures, but at a certain point, you have to understand that there are underlying fundamental foundational truths. And when you try to tear those down because of your dissatisfaction with your station, what you're doing is making yourself an enemy of the truth. What you're doing is making yourself an enemy of life. And when you push that out into the world, what you're doing is encouraging the dissolution and the destruction of people's ability to recognize what is true because you're muddying the waters. You're confusing the thoughts. And when you have no outlet for your particular brand of suffering because you're just making a mockery of the foundations, like if you're making a mockery of art by making art that doesn't resonate or if it does resonate, it resonates with the monster inside of you rather than the better angels of your nature. What you're doing is pumping venom into the system and then laughing all the way to hell about it. And so when, like, for example, you know, Andy Warhol is a great example of what I'm talking about here. You put a soup can on a screen print and you make a billion of them and you just grab whatever pop icons are convenient and you pump out a billion of them in an attempt to win the propaganda war, you lose touch with what it is that art supposed to be in the first place. And, and when you allow the powers that be to infiltrate and redirect the momentum and the value of art, you know, like I'm a jester, I'm all for a good joke, but mockery is something different. Mockery is not a joke in the attempt to enlighten or to share your essence, it's designed to break, it's designed to hurt. And when your art is designed to break and hurt, especially at the foundational fundamental levels of reality, what you're essentially trying to do is destroy reality. And that's, that's one of the big problems I have with modern art. Like, yeah, that's a plastic fucking cube. No, that is not art, unless you're willing to document all the steps that it took to make that plastic and the craftsmen who build it and the processes. But no, you just put an orange fucking cube in the middle of MoMA and then people come in and go, Ooh, look at the emperor's new clothes. It's, there is no essence. There is no substance. It's just a fucking cube. And you can say, sure, I'm just trying to let you interpret what art means to you by putting something out there that has no inherent value and letting you find the value within yourself. But if what you're putting out there is destructive and a mockery of reality, then what you're encouraging people to look within themselves and find is something similar to that. And we're seeing the ramifications and the effects of that happening. And it's, it's not positive. I mean, like I have a buddy and he's a big fan of modern art. He's a big fan of nihilism. He's a big fan of all these disillusion of reality and questioning whether or not reality is real and he's the saddest motherfucker i know because he sits around in his parents basement putting spangled frittery plastic on boards over and over and over again and i ask him why don't you make something because i don't like structure because i it's like no man if you don't have structure you don't have anything you might want to question the structures that were programmed into you in the first place but you have to, at a certain point, say, this is what I stand for, this is who I am, and this is what I'm trying to do. If you're not trying to do anything besides fill your time, that's no life at all. Very nice. Yeah. Very, very, yeah. very nice. Nice indeed. Um, what I'm going to say is I'm going to sacrifice my topic so we can keep going on this one. Because the one looks like people are very interested to keep going. So, Garrett, you had your hand up first, my friend. Go. 
So uh, one, one of the other angles that's really interesting. So um, I've, I've literally seen in modern art museums like a canvas that was white, painted white, right? And one of the premises behind this that it's very insidious in my opinion, right? The idea is that with these just stupid or otherwise not obviously complex pieces, right, is that they're open to interpretation. And so you've gotten away from art as this display of skill and something that glorifies a, an aspect of reality, right? And it's turned into a means of achieving commentary. But not only that, it's purely subjective, right? If there's, if, if there's a white canvas that's painted white, that's, that's obvious, like the objective fact of that is that it's a white canvas that somebody went to paint white for no reason, right? So if you're gonna dig into the subjective meaning of that, I have to imagine that it's an in-group kind of thing, like there's specific people and you would have to know what that person was trying to get at. But what that concept of making art pure, like the subjective reason denying experiences that I think they're trying to get to the point where they're suggesting that everything is open to interpretation. There's no objective reality, right? And so it's objectively a white canvas. You didn't do anything, but it's hanging up in a museum. And that's like a, that's a profound statement of fucking idiocy in my opinion, right? Like, Imagine, imagine you ran an art gallery and you have all these talented artists to choose from and that's what you're choosing to hang up, right? You're, you're putting that in the position of glorification. You're putting that in the position of prestige. So you're saying this is something that's worthy of admiration by hanging that up, right? So it's not just the artists, but there, there's a, a system of artists and gallery owners and critics and consumers that are agreeing that these things are considered worthy of praise, right? And that in itself is, is like an attack on the mind. You, you know, you would have to be, if you have a kid walk into a museum, the kid says, oh, it's a white canvas. That's pretty stupid. I could do that, right? People are gonna do that up until a point. And that point is probably like, mm, I have to imagine it's probably like around the age that you get a college education and they're like, oh no, it's not stupid. Pay, pay us a bunch of money for this degree and we'll tell you why it's brilliant, right? Like, <laughs> if you, for a counterpoint here, if you ever go read, um, like, Sexual Persona by Camille Paglia uh, is a very, very in-depth analysis of art history up until 18 or 1900s. Uh, I, I did not get to finish it because I had not read all the books that she was talking about. But the first half is a lot more about, like, myth and tribal art and like classical art, it's really, really fascinating because it shows that people were using this elevation of the human form to talk about deeper themes in life. And then you see the white canvas or Jackson fucking Pollock or something <laughs> can like I, that. Can I just jump in real quick here? Yeah. Just for a second. Um, somebody sent me a tweet. If at first you don't succeed, skydiving is not for you. And I responded, Jackson Pollock's final painting. <laughs> so uh, a counterpoint there on the Jackson Pollock note and then I'll be done um, 
a woman found a Jackson Pollock painting at a thrift store for $5, right? Of course, then her, one of her friends who was into art history said, wow, that's probably worth money. I bet that's a Jackson Pollock. And so that goes to show you that a normal person with any kind of sense does not value that any more than $5. Like, okay, well, this is some wall art that you buy at TJ Maxx, you know? <laughs> that's, that's what I'm getting at. But then it's this cult of pretension that elevates this absolute horseshit. Like you're splattering paint on a canvas and anyone who tells you otherwise is trying to fucking rape your mind. Like there's nothing good that anyone who's telling you that could be possibly doing in your interest, right? They are trying to destroy your faculty of reason. This, my- this is how I know you, we're all philosophers because you end up getting so angry over what most people consider to be a really benign topic. Uh, Jason, what do you think? Um, so I recently saw the movie about Jackson Pollock and I, I liked it. So I, I'm not quite following with Jackson Pollock. I kind of like his stuff. But anyway, yeah, I'm not defending most of modern art. Like I remember going to the Modern Art Museum in San Francisco and thought most of it was crap. Um, but again, I, I, I don't necessarily think that art is one thing. I don't think it's necessarily to remind us what's best in ourselves. I think sometimes it is meant to make you uncomfortable. Um, it's meant to provoke. Um, and I mean, this goes back to the deconstructing power structures. If there's something, you know, like if, if I want to be critical of mainstream media, I might do some art that is very provocative, right? And, and people who, who aren't, don't get it will see it as ugly. Um, uh, so I think we have to, do, and, and also Stefan, you, you, were, you started this conversation with like these kind of really, you know, distorted human forms. And then we got into kind of the modern art, you know, white painting, white canvas, white. So that I think we have to differentiate a little bit. Um, uh, you know, I think, you know, so for example, art can be ugly and it can be useful. So a lot of Jungian archetypes are scary as shit, right? They're not, they're not giving us this beautiful vision of a future. It's like a wolf, like hollow eyes, and it's meant to kind of like unsettle you. Um, and so I think that some art, if you take it as, a way to investigate your psychology um, and even some abstract art can can do this very well um, I, I think we have to appreciate you know those aspects of modern art while you know and 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 also I think art as commentary can also be useful as well like you know if, if you're you know if, if, if you are trying to provoke a commentary on kind of the meta system that we're all swimming in I don't know. So I guess I'm just pushing back a little bit with you guys, acknowledging that this can also go too far. Yeah, 100%. Go ahead. Um, I would like to screen share, although this could get very controversial, but um, because I've got loads of flash wave up here, but like I'd like to. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm I'm joking. I'm completely joking. Um, Uh, do you want me to screen Make sure share? You get the porn off your computer first before you screen yeah, share. Man. Yeah, all, all, all the tabs are just Pornhub.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, I screen share, it's just one one tab. It's like guys, I closed all the rest. Um, <laughs> you want to look at some art? Like uh, um, we could, I could talk about it for a bit. There's a few things I want to say here. First of all, just going back to the very first thing Chance said, he was describing how there's a denobilization there's a fucking word for you now a denobilization of the divine spirit it's actually not even that it's the eradication of the divine 
the, the concept of humans having a divinity about them. Because, you know, with the, the whole God is dead thing, I think this is actually fundamentally what it comes back to. And uh, with the removal of that divine thing, it's almost like the human form is no longer something like what I'm going to show you in Greek art, where it's an absolute thing of, of focus, where it's like, look how amazing humans are. Look at the mastery, the, the God-likeness. The, the humans are it's, it's absolutely amazing seeing seeing what a human is and especially the most ideal versions of humans and it's just this uh, obsession with beauty and the human form and, but then as we've we've sort of become tired of of humanity to an extent we kind of think we're ugly it's like that thing with the vegans that garrett was saying where it's like oh you know fucking humans destroying the planet we may as well just eat vegetables and kill all our children it's like that type of attitude it's like i fucking hate us we're like a parasite and i see this shit everywhere man like i'm rolling through youtube comments or some shit like that and you'll see people just drop stuff like human humans are parasites in this planet it's almost like mother earth has caught a disease and we're it and there's like you know there's memes where you'll have mars and uh, it's like looking at earth going like oh my god don't let it catch don't let it get on me don't let it get on me and earth's like coughing and shit like that and there's this sickliness this this feeling that humanity are is a disease and it's not a noble thing at all we're, we're like a scum of the earth type type situation and it is very much a nihilistic but nihilistic is even that's not even the right word it's it's like a self-hate a, a guilt thing to an extent and it does what it what it does seem to revolve around either it caused the thing chance was saying where the divinity is gone or what it did is it uh is it uh it, it, that's a result that's a result and i think it's very interesting to see how that manifests in modern art in the death of the hero so the greek stuff that i'm going to try screen share now has many heroic noble human forms but much modern art is actually not focused on that at all like modern art is strangely very focused on color. Can you see all this? I really hope it's a dodgy tab. <laughs> there is there is some really dodgy stuff, but I'm not sure if I'll do it. Like it's um, that so one with the face in the middle right is very cool. I I don't think any of this stuff is necessarily bad. Like I I, I wouldn't even well, the Pollock stuff up here. Like I mean, I like most of the stuff. <laughs> uh. Okay, so like you see I this Pollock guy sold for millions of dollars, but I like see you see this Pollock guy. Like I wouldn't necessarily call that bad. Like it's it's interesting. It's an interesting aesthetic. It's the same with the fash wave stuff. It's like it's interesting aesthetic to say the least. But this is you'll notice if you just look at this compared to the Greeks, which I will try get. There's a fucking yoke in the way though. You get the Greeks. Like, look, look at the difference. What's the first thing you notice? No people, people, very few people focus on color, aesthetics, backgrounds, fish even and stuff. It's weirder. It's different. But then you've got, and then you've got like all people. This is Greeks. Like it's so, it's so much different. And then this is just nothing at all. It's just all on a style or some sense like that. It's, it's a very, very intense thing. And I, I don't really understand what's going on there, but it seems like it is that losing that divinity, people are like, all right, the hero goes. With that, the hero goes. And that correlates a lot with this idea that the, the masculine is, is under assault. You know, the manosphere and all that. They're like these fucking people hate men nowadays. And I, I do think that there's a, an, a, a bit of a, an investigation we could do in that and say that it, it is reflecting in our, our, in our art the same way as our thoughts reflect in our dreams to an extent. So, um. So I always find that very interesting about modern art is the focus, the subject is often not humans and specifically not males. And if it is a male, it's an ignobilized one. 
Can I show you, uh, there's a modern artist that not, I'm not a modern artist, but he is around nowadays um, that I'm very, very fond of that is doing exactly the opposite of this that I think is a really good contrast, if you'll let me. Yeah, sure. Before we do that, do you want to get in some, some dark art? This is some art that I found that is extremely intense. Like, I think it's made by people who are uh, into the occult. And I'm just, uh, Garrett, like, is that okay? It's, it's, yeah, it could be- as long as it's not like, uh, like sexually explicit oh well then no no it's got it's involved with pedophiles and stuff it's fucked up shit like but but it is a great example no i'm being serious man like it's modern art and it's considered popular and it's just so explicitly dark and i just cannot believe that the people who did that are not like locked up and arrested i mean let's let's not let's not i won't How, 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 how popular is popular um a lot of very rich people in government run it for example oh that's hardly surprising but of course, I'll keep my political. Opinion. I would recommend if you want to like say the name to Google if people would like to see that at your own risk. But uh, no, no, we'll we'll leave that for my channel. I'll screw my own thing. Yes, Alex Gray, you know this guy? Oh, oh yes. yes. This is a modern artist who's absolutely fantastic. And the thing I love about him is there is a great focus on the human the human subject in the middle of it. Very, very you know, he used to work in a morgue and that's actually why he, he got uh he did autopsies and stuff and that's why he knows anatomy so well it's crazy isn't it yeah he's if uh there's a couple documentaries i believe that have him in uh that are totally worth your time he's got a place up in uh i believe upstate new york called the chapel of sacred mirrors that's just uh, i think it's like 21 life-sized uh there's a, they're supposed to look like mirrors, but they're reflections of all the different aspects of the self that he's exploring through like the psychedelic angle. So there's the skeleton, the nervous system, muscles, the flesh, there's like the astral body, all kinds of really interesting perspectives here uh, that he does. Just phenomenal, phenomenal detailed artist. It's, it's very interesting. And it's interesting that that's not like, if you go back even to the Greek stuff, the Greek stuff is very representative. It's showing you, humanity as humanity is it's not very psychedelic and even this alex gray like he does put the human subject in it which is cool but you'll notice that it's very surreal and it's very colorful in in an almost hyper reality version the same like all modern art seems to have that trait about it where it's focused on using lots of colors whereas the greek stuff well, seems a lot more for alex basic. gray that's that's just what it what that's what it looks like at a low level of a dmt trip right before you blast off into outer space allegedly Oh yeah, I get that. I get that. I get why it is, of course. Like, but uh, I just find it interesting that that's a thing compared to the past, which was a lot more, shall we say, based in some sort of or more. I, I would argue that Alex Gray is closer to a Greek artist in today's perception of the world than than probably anybody else, because what he's trying to show you is reality enhanced somewhat, like. The, the stuff you're seeing here, I, I have seen this in my real life. I, this, like, this stuff exists beneath the veil of your, of your everyday reality. You can, you can see this stuff through your own eyes and through your mind's eye just by ingesting a certain chemical. But this stuff, like, look, look at the difference. Go back and forth between these two a couple times. Look, now, now look, look, there's, there's structure and there's order and there's patterns and there's webs. Now go back to Jackson Pollock and look how dirty 
Look how dirty and messy. It's and chaos. It's it is, and, it, and it's and it's chaos worship. Yeah. yeah. Humans are beings that are supposed to bring treasure back from the chaos. We're not supposed to worship the chaos. We're supposed to face the chaos and bring something back with us. And Chan, when, sorry, when you take this, take this picture here, right, and and caption it: "Worship the chaos." And let's just make that a meme. Yeah, and look at the people worshiping it. You got a bunch of doofs. Wait, wait, wait. We'll see if we can find something crazy. It's like uh, uh, people watching White Wall in contemporary art. Wait, look at look up uh, Brian Larson. With an O or an E? E. Larson. Well, hey. No. What? One S E N. One S. The first wave. What the fuck? <laughs> no, you, you had it. No, with a Y. <laughs> All right, there you go. This is. Oh, wow. Wow. My favorite artist. Look at the one in the bottom right with um, Daedalus. Wow, that's really good. Bottom. Look, this is. Uh, Here? So this cool art is called Romantic Realism, right? It's like the glorified normal world. And what's interesting about him. He uh, really focuses on both the human form, but he also incorporates technology. And so wow. it's interesting because we have this drop off of uh, classical art. And that was really around the advent of technology. And we don't glorify our technology anymore, right? No, not at all. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. That's one thing that he tries to do. Like there's a lot of people in space. He's been doing a lot of stuff with space recently, but... Uh, there's like trains. There's uh, there's one with an architect. There's one with a bridge. Uh, that's and like that's really cool. Future, just very very few people in this school of art nowadays. But I feel like they're keeping the tradition alive. You should look up. Uh, uh, see, there's um. Look up drawing. Why, if you can see, look up Brian Larson drawing, and you can see he starts um, just drawing everything out, and he fills everything in exactly complete. So let's see if we can get one of those semi-finished ones. Look yeah, at that. Yeah. It's like more real than a picture, right? Like insane. And is that hand-drawn? Yeah, he hand-draws it and then paints it. And these are huge paintings. Like these are oh, like foot giant paintings, right? What an animal. That's yeah, so cool. No. Look at the one with, uh, with the, just the arms and the face right below the, uh, where he's standing in that picture. Down one. That one, yeah. On, yeah. Look at that. That he just comes in and draws it or paints it. And it's totally done. So that right there is modern art, and then what he's done is like made a new form of art. Like that there, you could stick up in an art museum, and people would be like, "Oh, okay, I get it." Yeah. Like, yeah, but th therefore you're at somewhat of a problem because what the hell do you mean by modern art? Because um, if, if you can fractionate it down um, into loads of different things, in which some of them are good, some of them are bad, some of them are are satanic in, in a pedophile manner. What specifically are we referring to when we say modern art? Because obviously yeah. we, we all seem to have a general sense that some of it is, is, is sinister, but obviously not all of it is. Are we, when we say modern, do we mean recent art? It's actually, when I say modern art in a negative way, I'm actually just using that as a shorthand to think. I'm actually just being a little bit of a cynic for attention more than anything. Like I do think a lot of this surrealism here and all this stuff is very interesting and very cool and, and thought-provoking. Yeah. Like it is magical and there's something really, 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 really engaging about it and, 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 and savage. Um, but 
and it's it's sarcastic, but it is also clearly very very well done. But yeah. but at the but same I'll, time, I, I the reason why I'm saying that is because it's almost like we lost something when we lost what we have here, and uh, that only really happened about a hundred years ago. It was like you know the jazz age around about that. After that happened, after the world wars, everything was over. It was like modernism came in, and 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 you can, we can never go back into history. And like we're now suddenly in a new place, and so this is how we do. We have like weird, surreal, overly colorful, not represent. Like no one's. It's very rare to see a, a picture of just like something straightforward in an art museum. It always has to have an angle or an edge or something interesting. And uh, I mean, we have photography. I mean, isn't isn't that kind of the room yeah. that they didn't have photography back then so they you know there was much more value placed on an accurate representation yeah and that's that's actually a really 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 good point that's a really good point like it did photography kill that side of art so this is what art had to do it had to adapt like that's actually a, a really good point maybe that's what's happening but this is something i'm, I'm not so sure this is something i always love checking out is um so this is before photography. You had the, the boys in France, the mad bastards, and they would uh, sit down with a scene and try capture the vibe. And that's something you can't do with a photo unless you're like really good with Instagram filters. And they were if, all we about, think about, if we think about this kind of stuff in terms of memes, I think it can shed a lot of light on what we're looking at here. You know, you take the impressionists and what were they doing? They, they were breaking down reality to the point where they could suggest a narrative and give you just enough, give you just enough of the scene or pointillists even where they lead you, but they don't force you into the narrative that they're trying to point you towards. But I think they add a tinge of emotion to it, which is interesting because a photo can make that very hard, but these guys can change the colors in such a way to make, to make uh, the scene represent how they saw it. And what I find fascinating about Impressionists is that I think from my experience with psychedelics, apart from really intense situations where I was like seeing stuff like this, um, my, my, my experience with psychedelics is this is what it's like. It's a lot more like an Impressionist painting where things just become a bit more vibrant and a bit more, sorry, sorry, a bit more uh, interrelated with your, your feelings or your vibe or how you're seeing the world. It becomes more subjective. And I think that's what these guys are. Have you ever seen a, have you ever seen Dutch realism? It was like the last one of the last bastions of realism before we dropped off into like impressionism and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, oh, this looks cool. Bunch of six foot four Dutchmen. <laughs> Dutchmen, yeah. <laughs> painting their grandmas. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> But see, it's interesting because even even in these various different styles of realism, right? What they're glorifying is—I wouldn't even say this is—they're there's obviously a very strong attachment to the common life here, right? Like yeah. the normal life of a person. This is all representing things that they would see, people around the house, the family, the shepherd, the farm, right? Wow, it is really good, yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to get at. It, an artist creates art that is trying to express their vision of reality. They're suggesting there's something within you that is more than meets the eye. And they're trying to highlight what it is that they believe is behind the veil. And when you contrast 
like the life of the common man with subtle enhancements here and there to draw your eye and to help you form thoughts along a certain channel. And then you compare that with Jackson Pollock. Like what is the world that he is looking at and trying to get you to see? That's, that's, that's what bothers me. It's like what you're not, the world that they're seeing is not the world. They're not living in reality. They're not trying to like highlight aspects of reality and draw your attention to them. They're trying to draw your attention away from reality and say, this is what I'm seeing. What I'm seeing is splatters. What I'm seeing is a head cut off and seagulls flying out of somebody's head. What I'm seeing is something twisted. And that's what I want to call your attention to. And that's fine up to a certain point. Like if you see something twisted and you want to call somebody's attention to it, but there's a narrative behind that that suggests there's something more to be had. Well, that's a heroic story. But if you draw somebody's attention to the chaos or the darkness and there's no suggestion about what might be the remedy or what might be a better avenue, then what are you doing? It's a void. Jason, what do you make? Because um, you're you're uh, you're in the pro Pollock camp by the sounds of it. And I mean, I'm not I'm not a I'm not a huge Pollock fan. I just don't hate him as much as you guys. We're binary thinking here, Jason. Much as me. You're either pro, <laughs> yes or no. Well, I, I think we have to look at uh, first: Are we trying to represent the outside, or are we trying to represent the inside, right? And also, at what resolution? So, if you're trying to represent the inside. Um, so, like impressionist is kind of a mixture of the two. It's like, you know, how how are you like you know, what is your impression of the outside? A little bit distorted by maybe if it's a memory or something else. Um, but, you know, some of us sometimes do have a lot of chaos inside and trying to represent it with very kind of clear forms is not adequate. Like, it, it, sometimes it does feel like static, right? Um, to your point, Chance, about like, it should, it should provide a path forward. I think on a societal level, I agree with you. Like, but I don't think every individual that's their responsibility. You know, if we have a well-functioning ecosystem of or socio ecosystem of people, some people are going to do stuff like this, you know, and really kind of show our demons and then other people will pick it up and say, okay, let's how let's do some art that will take you through that darkness to the light. I don't think every individual artist has to fulfill all of the roles. I agree with that. But when, when that is- the, like what is the balance there you know that's that's what's alarming to me is the balance is not reality so like these i see these as kind of like dark jungian archetypes right so and this this guy is interesting because the reason why this came to mind and i love this i think this is unbelievable art because this is just so very the detail is unbelievable his name's Zliz, he's from poland he's so this is this is why it came to my mind there's his name by the way um you brought up the inside. Yes, Can you pronounce it? Awesome. You brought up the inside, uh, Jason, and Pollock represent the inside. And I actually agree to an extent. It's almost like impressionism is in the middle, and Pollock is just showing the formless void of his mind of some sort. And Zlidzad, or whatever this guy is here, the, the poor chap, he obviously had some darkness in him, and he ended up killing himself. And, uh, and then you look through his art, and there's like the tones here are just so intense. Like so intense, and you that's clear- unapocalyptic. Well, that's what? but that's just the point, right? He killed no. himself. Yeah, yeah, but so so for example, you know, like this this kind of represents death to me. Like it's, these are very kind of, and you know, for me, like kind of taking this out to like 
you know, a spiritual practice, a spiritual practice that I like is, is really trying to visualize death or trying to visualize something that really scares me. And instead of kind of pushing it away, like fully just, just allow it to take me over and to be scared and to be, you know, and for me personally, not for this guy because he killed himself, but for me, that actually has a very therapeutic effect of yeah. allowing me to kind of address my core existential fear, um, you know, and be, and then all of a sudden become okay with it where I see death. I'm like, oh, that's okay, you know, and because of that, now I can live. Now I can enjoy life. I, I yeah, actually, I mean, that's, that's, that's integration of the shadow, right? Yeah. I would, I, I would like to comment on this because someone brought up Young. I think it was Jason. Is that uh, I do think that art, like I do this. Like if you listen to that song I have called Prologue Di- Diabolos or something like that, that was me literally trying to manifest an emotion that I could only describe as like very close to the dark side. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, and once you put it there, it's a very strange fucking feeling because you put something out there into the world, you craft it into a piece of art, and then it's real. And then it sort of starts to influence you for a while, but because you've kind of crafted it into something, you're able to separate yourself from it. And then you sort of master it to an extent. That's a very weird feeling. It yeah. doesn't mean that you've, you've succeeded per se. There's still more to it, but it's like a really important step I found. And so I, I noticed that when I'm looking at people like this, and I do take a Jungian view. I, I try to look at what they might've been mastering or what I might've been doing. Like this, for example, here is really strange to me because that's again, the human form getting denobilized into some creepy animal of some sort. Like, you know, that's very fucking strange. And, and this here, this is a very intense idea because this theme of the big head shows and the alien big head shows up quite a lot in this stuff. And it's, um, Jung said that the self can often arrive in this type of form it can arrive in the he young thought that ufo sightings for example were actually people's hallucinations of their own self coming through and it's almost like uh this is like if you can imagine you've seen a ufo this is like your psyche looking at you through the self and it's just you hallucinated or something like that and i, I get the feeling that he might have been this is his he's clearly dealing with his shadow and all this stuff but he might have been he might have been tapping so deep that he might have started hitting on um like a proper you know the deepest part of your soul, the, the self itself. And that Jung said that often can kill people. And, uh, and I think that little theme that shows up there is a representative of it. And it's like authority or something like that. It's a very, very intense writer. Here's another, look at this. Look, how like, it looks like innocence. It looks like an innocent child face that's seeing what's around it and weeping. Right. That, like though, that. that is the coolest one. The Valley of the shadow of death. That is such a good painting. Yeah, here's, here's the thing I want you to consider. Art traditionally, and I still think to this day, is essentially inseparable from our form of worship. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. I don't, I don't mean the sacred or what you hold to be sacred. Correct. And, and so, like, I look at this art and it is utterly astounding. The imagination and the skill and the devotion to create art like this is unquestionable. But clearly, this is a person who worshipped death. Yeah. yeah. To, be able, to be able to put forth imagery like this, there must not have been anything else on this man's mind ever. This yeah. is a death worshipper. This is, a, this, this is the art of the cult of death. And that's fine because Look. death is a real force and an inevitable force. Look at but that he worshipped death so much that he finally embraced death. And that's, that's what I'm getting at. I mean, art and the interpretation therein is obviously subjective, but there are objective truths about art. Art is a form of worship. 
And the mind that created this is a mind who worshiped death. I mean, when, when, was he, uh, when was he around? Like, uh, this might also be a good example of how shitty it was to live in Poland during the Cold War. This is my backyard. <laughs> I, 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 take, I think there's a theme of that. I think there was a massive theme of that. You see when he represents cities that there are always a load of sick people and decay. But I'm really geeking out on this idea of big heads, meaning the self. And like alien childlike innocence in the face of devastation, you know, that's what it looks like to me. Look at the child kissing, it's miserable, right? It's grotesque. Oh, Jesus, look like at this. this. Yeah, god damn, that's fucking insane. I, I do like that that's idea all, about, about worship, that's a very, very interesting one. I'm not entirely sure if art is necessarily worship, but it definitely reflects your emotions. Oh, 100%. At the moment. So, but if someone's I, producing this much. Yeah, there's definitely something on that person's mind. And it's definitely death. It's uh, that, the dark side in general. That, that's what I think Jung would be getting at, is that you would start to manifest the symbol. And this is like looking at someone's dreams. And you could say that because these themes show up, big head shows up a lot. Jung would say that that active, the big head ar um, archetype is active within him, whatever that means. And that is, in my opinion, the face of God to this man, like whatever emotion, like he would look at this and he'd get a very specific feeling off it. And it could have been the feeling that killed him. It could have been the feeling that said, take your fucking life, man. But whatever feeling he got off, it was coming from this symbol. So every time he'd see it, it'd give him that emotion and it would give him catharsis for some reason. And uh, it's, it's very intense because he's pulling look at that tank. The what? The tank. Yeah. Yes. That's got to be like something in his backyard. I'm telling you, yeah, like sure. not on a cruise note. That's like he that lived. Like he lived through World War II, by the way. He lived through through World War II. There you go. Yeah. So imagine you see that, and you see this like actual real world devastation, and you start running with that theme. It's like, okay, this is this is the world destroyed. Let's go further. Let's imagine a world more destroyed, like because that's the world to him. You know, I, my I get it. World is decaying. We also don't know the counterfactual. We don't know if he would have killed himself earlier if yeah. he had a this art. Oh, right. see, this is it. Like, I'm point. actually not trying to say that him killing himself was caused by this art. Like, yeah. it, it's uh, very complicated. Definitely. I'm trying to get at the idea that it's, it's very, this is very psychologically complicated. And that's what's so, like, it's beautiful because it's, there's something very human about it. There, there's so, something incredibly deep about this, you know, just from looking at it. Like, I'll tell look, you the effect it has on me is... By, by, by kind of putting forth objectively, like, like bringing in front of our eyes what's ugly, um, it, it almost allows me to like, better address it within myself and then move beyond it, right? Like instead yeah. of dancing around the ugliness, always being scared to really, to really face it in the, you know, look it in the eye, it's gonna, it's gonna fuck, with me, fuck with me my whole life. But when you allow yourself to just like, oh my God, like this, it just take you over for a few seconds, a few minutes, and then it's like, okay, I've done that. I've come to terms with that. Now I can move forward and, you know, not look at this fucking shit again or another, you know, for another five years or whatever. Well, so that, I mean, that's kind of, I think that's what this is about. Is it, look, it, uh, these obviously aren't, aren't chronologically in order. Oh, he didn't like communism. Oh, dear. Progressively more horrific, right? So I think it's, instead of him moving on, like uh, there's, uh, there's something Chance likes to say that uh, if you fail to learn the lesson, it's going to get taught to you again harder and harder until it yeah. kills you, right? Yeah. Um, if I think that's what this is, is like the horror of the world. He's continually presented with it, and he has the choice yeah. to 
reject it and he doesn't he he accepts it and he embraces death you know yeah get, I mean, do we know if i mean I, I, it's hard to tell like this this stuff is very complicated it's an artist man like it's hard to know if he's normal like you can hardly call it normal but like yeah. you can't say he's meant he's probably not schizophrenic either so it's it's very com- this like you know this stuff is this stuff is religious at the level we're dealing with it. We don't really know what we're dealing with at all. Like, is that an angel or is that a demon? You don't really know. That's, that's like a, if, if Michelangelo painted hell, I think this is what it would look like, you know? Yeah. Well, like Dante's, what? James, you know a lot about Dante and the circles of hell, right? Like, those I'd, are pretty horrific too. Yes, I, I, I do indeed love, love a nice bit of Dante. Yeah, this, this does look like um, something that would be down there, all the old pictures of the Inferno when you had uh, Satan down the bottom of the Inferno. Not the video game, Dante's Inferno, of course, but you, we, you have the, yeah, that exact type of artwork. It's, it's fairly similar where it becomes something. Gustave Dor. interesting. Dor- interesting. Dor- awesome, awesome, awesome artist. Woodcut stuff. Really yeah. beautiful stuff. This is interesting. He illustrated Dante's Inferno. He did the Bible. He did a couple yeah, yeah. other things. Did you say William yeah, Blake? I'm running out of time. Can, can we... Can we bring this in yeah sure okay let's uh art. okay let's let's uh bring this Stephen, in okay while no. i speak Stefan, you can bring something up what i'd like to briefly say to the audience of course just to bring it back just a last thought i suppose <laughs> is art <laughs> is no. art, art's a really complicated thing because um you have to ask the question what the hell is art and, and it's like because it's, it's confusing art is something that clearly comes up out of the unconscious and so you've got to ask well well, what is it? What exactly is art? What's it trying to convey? Because it's like a symbol. Because you look at art, it's not words, but it means something to you. So then you take the dark art we were looking at and it's like, well, clearly that means something. And then it's like, well, what did your psyche do to make you make that over something else? So you can either take like the worship idea or an emotional state idea or the, the, the geopolitical state of the collective. But there's something I think that's definitely driving all of this. And with those beautiful final words uh, i'd like to say thank you everybody for listening to the show what i'm going to do is go around so everyone can say their twitter profiles or anything else which they'd quite like to plug of course so mr jason snyder <coughs> yeah Cognizor, <laughs> Cognizor. that's it sweet stefan um my youtube channel i'd like to get it linked below or i'll comment it below or something that people check it out i i talk about lots of crazy stuff i never talk about flat earth though or veganism or fashion wave never any of that stuff don't worry or, about that or, or sacrificing goats or sacrificing children. by the way stefan you've got to get yourself a personalized url so you can actually plug it rather than be awkward like that chance where can people find you people can find me on twitter logo centrifuge they can find me on youtube logo centrifuge um and they can find me spreading messages of self-actualization self-determination and doing the fucking work yeah fantastic looks like chance in a very bad mood after after looking at that dark art and garrett where can people find you the uh, at liver underscore rex uh master thyself.com and i want to close with a quote uh ayn rand said art is a selective reproduction of man's values oh very nice and people of course you can find your favorite member of the cast mr james p dowling which is me at james p dowling or twitter not twitter youtube.com slash james p dowling because i've actually got myself a custom url thank you everybody for joining us for episode two of the ionosphere have a fantastic day and we will see you again very very deuces bye-bye bye-bye slaughter slaughter